Today, I'm in the hot seat. I will be talking about Curious Neuron and my background in research. And I'm so excited to announce that the Curious Neuron podcast is now supported by the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute here at the Neuro in Montreal. The Neuro is the first health sciences institution in the world to commit to open science, an open approach to research that ensures scientific knowledge is shared widely and transparently. You know that that is my goal with Curious Neuron, and I am beyond excited and honored that they are now supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. This is episode 25. Welcome to the Curious Neuron podcast, parenting advice that is backed by science. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I'm the founder and your host. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience, and I'm a mom of three. My goal is to bring you information from research that will help you parent your child. Whether you just had a baby or you have a teenager, Curious Neuron is here to answer your questions. Learn with us by visiting our website at CuriousNeuron.com. Join us on Instagram or Facebook. Send in your comments or questions at info at CuriousNeuron.com. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington and I am your host and now I or we actually, are relaunching the Curious Neuron podcast, things will be a little bit different. Um, I've been listening to your feedback, and I know that you guys love the fact that Curious Neuron is evidence-based. But through my interviews, um, sometimes I'm, I don't move away from the science, but I, I want to get more geeky with you guys. <laughs> so I love the fact that Marion is on po- the podcast with us now. Hi, Marion. Hi. And what we decided to do um, is kind of have chats between the two of us because we are both neuroscientists and we both have three kids so I think we have the credentials of <laughs> getting uh, sciencey with you and also relating it to parenting um, so we thought that it would be a good idea to to step back these next few episodes and to take the time to for you guys to get to know us I realized that I, I jump onto the podcast and and then I say hi and I introduce the person uh, that I'm interviewing, but I never take the time to talk about myself. So today we're, we're switching the tables or we're flipping the tables. I, <laughs> I hate expressions. I don't know. <laughs> um, and Marion will be interviewing me. Um, so here we go. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is really great. I've been following you, Cindy, I think for like on at least over a year since the, before the pandemic started. And I just love um, what you're doing. And it made me realize how important this is. And um, for neuroscience researchers, for researchers in general, I find that um, we're often stuck in our labs and we're really focused on what we're doing. And so I love that you're you're getting out there, getting the research and making it more accessible to to parents. And so I thought it was so important that we should should collaborate. (laughs) And I kind of just... (laughs) have hopped on. And so it's so important that the Montreal Neurological Institute, through its open science initiative, has found some funding for us through the Tenenbaum Open Science Initiative. And so a goal of of theirs is to get science um, out there to make it more accessible. And so that's um, really aligned with the goals of the Curious Neuron podcast. Mm-hmm. So here we are. And uh, <laughs> I'll just say, so we, I've been following you and I just loved your approach and how you break down play and how you make it, um, you make us realize how important it, important it is. So mm. maybe we could start with that. Maybe you could just tell us Yay. a little bit about how you started the Curious Neuron 
podcast or uh, curious neuron everything website. <laughs> I don't even I don't know. Did it start as a website or a blog or an Instagram account? And like how you decided that you wanted to to leave academia mm. after a, a PhD and a postdoc. You can tell us a little bit about your your PhD and your postdoc, and mm. then and do this this amazing initiative. Wow, <laughs> I never spoke about this. I think. <laughs> So for me, I was doing my my PhD in neuroscience. I was studying schizophrenia, or actually psychosis. And um, near the end of it, I, I wanted to start my postdoc, and I was I, I wanted to continue, but I wanted to switch fields, um, and I went into education because a lot or most of the mental illnesses will start when you're a teenager and the people that we were seeing who um, had developed schizophrenia or psychosis they were young and it got me questioning you know how are they learning in the classroom if, I, if I'm seeing all of these cognitive um, issues with them and they're struggling um, so it just got me thinking about how the brain learns and then in addition to that I was volunteering at McGill um, in this program called Brain Reach which was all about science communication and we were going into classrooms grade three I think and secondary two and we were talking to kids about the brain and that's what really got me excited about science which is kind of weird because I was <laughs> doing a doctor degree but it's when I got the chance to talk about science that really things like changed for me and I remember going to see the the head of that program um at the beginning and of this entire um like of me participating in this program and I said I want this to be my job one day and she just laughed I'm like I, I'm gonna make sure this is my job one day and I literally did it at, at the end of my PhD and starting my postdoc I I what I started doing so I think Curious Neuron right now is like Curious Neuron 4.0 or something it's changed so much um but initially I was going into the classrooms and and speaking to teachers I was giving workshops and uh, to talk to them about the brain and how it was learning I was merging the neuroscience stuff that I, I had learned and combining it with what I was learning in education um so that was like a little mini job that I created for myself through Curious Neuron and then that led to some parents finding out about it and saying well you know a lot about the brain can you work with my child I was like yeah sure <laughs> and then that led to me working in an office a pediatric office here in Laval or in Montreal and um then I had one kid I had another child and when I gave birth to my second child I realized that I I just I really wanted to stay home full-time I there was that drive for myself and that was my journey and I, I went for it. I just stopped Kirsten on and I was super sad for that I stopped everything because I was enjoying talking about the brain and, and teaching kids how their own brain learns. Um, and then after uh, I decided just to start the blog for fun because I didn't want to sit down and do <laughs> and do nothing at night. But then I created more work. <laughs> right. And yeah, and now I have three kids, uh, a one to three and a five year old, actually uh, almost two, almost four and almost six year old. But um the blog was started after my first child so around 2017 and within the first couple months of launching the blog um, Janet Lansbury who's an author in the parenting world um, happened to share one of my blog posts that I had cited her in and I had tagged her like on Twitter not thinking that she would look at it and she read it and shared it because she liked it and I went from like 23 people on my on my blog like per month to like thousands every single month and because of that one share um right. so that kind of launched everything a little bit faster than I had anticipated and I think that is uh enough for another podcast just the business side <laughs> of Curious Neuron and how you've got yeah. a neuroscientist to an educator to also a, 
<laughs> business person and you yeah. make it look so easy. I, you're, you've grown oh, no. from a thousand subscribers to over 40,000 subscribers, mm. followers on Instagram. Mm. Um, you have a huge following and it's because you, you break down all the information into something that's so accessible. And I can tell you, it is not that easy. <laughs> I've tried it. I, I tagged along a few times for a few posts and I, <laughs> I tried to help Cindy and I, and if you're interested, try and do it. It just is, it's not that easy. And, and that's what you, you, you go into the studies and you take out what we need to know. And I really appreciate it. And I, I, I can see that so many parents appreciate it. Every once in a while, I get an email from somebody who's in research uh, and, and they'll, they'll thank me for taking the time to summarize an article because it does take a lot of time. I have to read the article once and then kind of like step back and then read the article again and then see what stands out and then try to visualize the important parts of it. I try to see like images in my head or like a diagram of some sort or like words that flash in my face. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's but it's fun. I, I love doing it. You know, it, yes, it takes time. But this past year, I think I learned how to do it properly because I had been doing this since 20, what did I say, 15, 17. And people will email me and ask me, how do you get so many followers and so quickly? And it, I didn't just close my eyes and, and it happened overnight. Yeah. It was years of work prior to that and years of me trying to figure out how to best, you know, translate this knowledge and how to put the images out there and learn how to use Canva. And so it, it wasn't just fluke. It's it's a lot of work. And but most people know that and, and they appreciate it. And that makes me want to do more. Yeah, exactly. But I know it's not easy. And you say that you're a stay-at-home mom, which I would argue is not true. <laughs> you are a full-time, double-shifted <laughs> worker. Yeah. You are with your children all day doing um, all this, I would call it the fun stuff. And yeah. Your children are with you during the day. And then at night, I see you're posting and you're... <laughs> And you're researching at all, all hours of the night, which is something we will get into because I think that these late night posts for you is they have to stop. I'll, I'll talk about it in, mm -hmm. in your episodes why we don't want to be staying up all night and uh, the importance of sleep for our brain and for our brain development. I know, um, but you you really are you're doing you're doing many things and it's really amazing. So tell us a little bit more about being a state, what you would call a stay-at-home mom while also running um, a business. Before I say that, I want to say that I heard your interview with um, Kelly for the, the Be Well Kelly um, mm -hmm. podcast. And as I was listening to you speak about sleep, I was like, oh, <laughs> not even, I was shaking my head and saying to myself, like, oh, I have to stop this. I really need to start sleeping. I It's a goal. It's a goal. It's on my, <laughs> I'm working at it. Some days I'm good at it. Some days I'm not. Um, but you know th that's so I've made the decision to um, to stay home with my kids and to homeschool. I'm homeschooling my five year old, and I'm during the day I am not working at all. You know if I get a half hour here and there in the afternoon while my baby naps, it's a good day. <laughs> um, but on average, I'm I start working around nine thirty or nine or nine thirty at night. And that's the You're hard brain. part. I'm going to interject. Your brain <laughs> is always on. You are always yeah. thinking. I know. Yeah. And what's so cool is that when you're playing with your children, I'm sure every time you set up an activity, you're like, ah, this is set, this is helping with yes. this cognitive development. So, <laughs> so, so tell us about that. <laughs> when you set up an activity, um, are you always thinking about 
how the brain is is activated during that activity and what you're working on? Or do you sometimes just say like, whatever, I'm just, I'm a mom today. I'm it's like, both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's both, you know, and, and I think we should, we, that's definitely another topic that we can cover together because I think some people misinterpret knowing stuff about the brain as in I'm going to put so much work into creating all of these activities when in the end, it's when you simplify play and you step back and you really allow your child to lead you mm-hmm. that all the learning happens. And it's, it's you know, putting out a set of blocks, but then being aware that, you know, if they build a tower and you give them a challenge saying, you know, how tall can your tower be? That just those words will, for- not force, but put, push your child into a direction of trying to problem solve and creating um in regulating their own emotions right because when the tower falls a three-year-old will lose their mind sometimes and they get, get mad but if you're taking the time to sit with them and you're guiding their thoughts and saying i'm mad too you know and and i always i've said it a few times i think i don't know how it happened but i think i was trying not to swear when my kids were small and i said potato i don't know why it came out but it became the joke of the house <laughs> that when we're mad and frustrated so we associate the word frustration to saying ah potato mm-hmm. i don't but it happened <laughs> <laughs> but just to say that we're, you know, play is allowing our kids to develop so many skills um, and, and those skills will help them later on. And it's not just about learning ABCs. Even with homeschooling, people think that I sit there, you know, with my daughter all day and we we work on, you know, reading and, and writing. And no, she's five. She plays most of the day and, and we go out for bike rides and for walks. But then there's a little part of the day, a little half hour where yeah we're we're sitting down but we're also having discussions and when I'm playing with them and she's upset at her brother because they're not sharing toys that's where the learning happens that's where I'm trying to help her understand social skills and things you do or you don't do and that's what will help our kids later on in school it's being able to sit down to stay focused for a long period of time but also how to manage relationships with their teacher and with their peers so there's a lot more to it right and so what would you say would be when you look back and you had your first and your second, what was the what was the biggest surprise for you? Were you did you think that <laughs> it was going to be easier or harder, and that? <laughs> no, I'm a naturally anxious person, so for me, I was <laughs> when I was pregnant with my second, I was afraid that I wouldn't have the time. But then you realize that you figure it out, and then things just happen. And then pregnant with my third that's when I was worried now there's really no way that I could have time to to give and then you realize well the other two are there and then he's learning from his older siblings um but yeah I I I I don't know I I just kind of do things I don't (laughs) I mean there's thought into it like yes I wanted more kids but I just go with the flow and I guess that helps a bit because you you can't organize anything with kids um (laughs) i think i've heard you say like schedules don't work in your home (laughs) schedules don't work in my home and we're kind of go with the flow family because that's what works best for us or maybe it doesn't work best because they don't sleep but um (laughs) i don't know um but yeah it's just letting them you know they're not taking control of everything but you realize that you don't you can't plan every single moment of your day and i i had to learn that because I don't know if with your background as well, like I was super organized in school and in and, and grad studies and I now I am organized with Kirsten Ron, but with life as a parent, I'm not organized. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of weird for me and it like takes me out of my comfort zone because I like writing everything. Like I'm looking at my books that are, you know, on my desk right now and everything is always like written down and I know exactly what I'm doing today and I have everything outlined. 
But then as soon as I step out of this area, which is my work area, and I go upstairs with the kids, like, who knows when we're going to have dinner? Who knows if I'll be able to make dinner? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not as organized as people think I am <laughs> in yeah, parenting. Yeah, you come across very organized, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that I'm not. <laughs> I, I think that's really important because I think in this day and age with Instagram and with all the social media, I think parents are overwhelmed. And I think mm. that's a really important goal of Curious Neuron and something that um, we're working on is that we want to help get the research out there, but mm. we don't want people to feel overwhelmed and mm. that there's so much because really we're, we're working off the foundations of these, like of the giants that have, that have shown us how the brain develops and in psychology, what we know about the brain. Um, it's not, it's not changing really quickly. It's we, we, we have some basic understanding and we can, we can use that, but we don't have to, um, there aren't studies coming out every day that's like revolutionizing the way that we think about the brain. So, and we don't really have important. to apply everything all the time. You know, like even with yelling, we, we talk about not yelling, but it's, it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible that you will not yell. Even if you know how bad it is, even if you've not bad, but even if you know that you don't want to do it or you hear that you shouldn't be yelling and you should be calm, there is no way that you are not never ever going to yell at your kids. Like it's impossible. Right. And and parents have to, I think we have to kind of give ourselves grace for that too, to have bad days, to have days where you want to play and have days where you really don't want to play. Even with myself, I'm home with my kids and I, I, I genuinely love playing with my kids, but there are weeks where I'm like, or days I'm like, ah, I don't feel like playing. <laughs> not right. today. Like I, you just kind of step back a little bit. Yeah. And that's we have to okay. Look at, look at the big picture. I think that's yeah. important. That people yeah. Yeah appreciate that that yeah. we're, we're working towards a, a big picture and we're all making mistakes and we're learning from the, those mistakes mm. and that's something we know about the brain too that we we learn from our mistakes so if we mm. if, if something's not going well um we know that we can we can work on it we can change mm -hmm. our behaviors and and move forward but it's not happening quickly <laughs> no <laughs> No, and we get caught up, I think, as parents in this little micro world of, you know, I just made a mistake and everything's going to suck or everything, <laughs> everything's going to crumble, everything that I worked for. And it's not true. It's like you said, it's the big picture and we don't have to worry about the details sometimes because the bigger picture, you know, yes, you yelled, but if you're genuinely nurturing your child and they know that you're there for them, they know that you have moments and that's fine. It's okay. You know, like it's, it's the big picture and that's a really good point. Yeah. So what is your biggest priority at home with your three three young children i would say that right i would say that they know they can come to us and i know that they're still young but we we kind of create this really inclusive environment i guess of like we can have emotions um but you can always speak to each other we can always you know come to each other and, and speak to us about our emotions as well I don't know. I, I guess we have fun too. I, I I've never even put thought into how I would define <laughs> our house. It's it's fun yet chaotic <laughs> because they're all so small. You know, a one and a three year old. This has been this past year, which happened to be the pan the pandemic. I don't know if the pandemic added to that, but I think it did. The one and the three year old are the toughest right now. I'm in the the most difficult part and it's so funny because as parents you have your first child and you're not sleeping and you're like this is so hard yeah. and then after your child's a toddler and you're like no no this is so hard and then after you have a second one with a toddler and you're like oh my gosh <laughs> this you know so it's always it's always at this point but right now I'm in the hardest part for myself um and it's just managing so many emotions because I you know I I also 
I, I stopped nursing a couple weeks ago and then that brought on like I don't know like this kind of weird emotion in me like of I, I, hormones have changed so I'm not dealing with their emotions as well because I'm trying to control my own and it's like you know yogurt falls on the floor and usually I was like oh, that's fine and now I'm like why did it fall <laughs> <laughs> and and but I can't even control it I am like and then I'm mad at myself in my head I'm like just get over it Cindy <laughs> it's just yeah, yogurt so on the floor that's definitely something that we will go over in the podcast <laughs> in the next few episodes yeah. is yeah. what's happening to our brain when we have children what are what are all the different um changes in our hormones and how is that affecting our brain and how um how plastic it is and how it responds to our environment so can you tell us a little bit about how your research as a phd has shaped where curious neuron has gone and where it's going so my my research was in psychosis and um so mental health and I think part of my mission with Curious Neuron and it, it kind of went in a, not in a different direction, but most people that follow Curious Neuron have very young kids. But the, the, the take home for me from my own research is that we have to be really aware of changes that our kids have when they're teenagers because a huge percentage, it was over 70% of mental illness, illnesses will begin um, when a child is a young adult, so a teenager in the early 20s. And if we're aware of changes, so the big changes in these prodromal stages, which is when the mental illness hasn't begun yet, technically, um, is, is when we're seeing like a change in motivation, um, a change in um, social, like all of a sudden they don't want to be with their friends anymore. So they're not motivated to do anything. Um, losing interest in something you liked before, um, anhedonia. So like if they play guitar or they enjoy music and all of a sudden they don't want to do that anymore. So just losing general interest in everything they're doing, that's a very big change. And that's a warning sign that something is happening mentally and for their mental health. Um, and that warrants you like speaking to them and speaking to their doctor as well. I That's what I was studying. And psychosis, um, I, I switched between psychosis and schizophrenia. So I, I studied psychosis and schizophrenia is a type of psychosis. So mm -hmm. basically your brain um, will start with those negative symptoms. So negative symptoms are like not losing interest or losing motivation or not being social anymore. You have those negative symptoms, but then you have positive symptoms, which, which are the ones that you associate with schizophrenia, right? So the hallucinations and the delusions. Um, and for me, it, it was just like a real, an understanding of when my kids are older, I really need to be attuned to them and aware of their environment. And, you know, it's easy as a teenager that they kind of go off, I'm assuming, <laughs> when I think back to myself as a teenager and you don't want to be home anymore. Mm -hmm. But there there are lots of brain changes happening that we need to, to be aware of. And I think we should go into that in more detail. That perhaps will help some parents, I think. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Mm. So when in your research, were you working directly with patients? And can you tell us a little bit about um, how that how that works? Yeah, I was. I was at the Douglas Mental Health Institute here in Montreal and um, at a first episode psychosis clinic. And, you know, it's it, there's we always say there's stigma around mental health, but then we don't realize our own stigmas. So just to say, like for me, um, I was trained to to do IQ tests um, with um, people who had had a first episode of psychosis. So that's the first time you're hospitalized for very um, 
like you've put yourself in danger or somebody else in danger. Um, but then again, when it comes to schizophrenia, it's only 1% of them that put others in danger. Usually the danger is for yourself because mm -hmm. the voices that you hear are often negative and telling you to harm yourself. Um, so they end up hospitalized and then they would stay in the hospital and they'd run a bunch of tests. And one of them was an IQ test, which I was trained to do. And I remember being in the room and there's a panic button. And I placed the chair, I sat at the wrong side of the table. I should have been beside the panic button. And I, I had them sit there and I, you know, was nervous. I kind of sat there and started doing the, the IQ testing and realized that the panic button was the opposite side and I couldn't reach it. And then I remember panicking in <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a panic attack and telling myself if something happens, because this was the first time that I was alone with a patient after months of training and I, I remember really panicking almost not even hearing what they were saying to me thinking like something if something happens I, I have I can't press the button why did I do that why didn't I think of it why did I double check and then nothing happened and I realized that that was part of my own stigma and worrying that I would be harmed when it's just there for emergency it's there in all rooms of a mental health hospital um, or mo not all but most because you never know what can happen sure but most of them we can't even tell that anything is going on in their brain, that the, the hallucinations or the delusions are going on inside their mind. Some do speak out, you know, out loud to, to whoever they're, they're hearing. But it's, it's such a, um, a misunderstanding, I think, or that you will know right away when somebody has schizophrenia. So it, that's another thing that that's kind of like a take home for me where your child might seem like they're functioning properly. They're just kind of isolating themselves, but they might have these voices in their head, you know, and, and we don't know what's going on if, if they, they are starting psychosis. So that was, yeah, that, that was a big uh, eye opener for me where I realized it was my own, <laughs> my own issues in my head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I, I really enjoyed getting to know them and hadn't realized, you know, how vast these hallucinations could be. It's with all your senses. So some of them hear voices. Some of them see people. Um, some um, people will um, smell garbage or taste garbage in their mouth. So the hallucinations touch all of our senses. I, I learned a lot about that. I, I studied mostly uh, verbal memory and, and emotions in, in people who had a first episode of psychosis. And so did you look at reoccurrence and how that um, was related to some of these tests that you were doing? Um, no, what I was looking at is when these negative symptoms don't go away. So for some of these patients, what happens is that they take their medication that mostly will stop the voices or will stop the hallucinations. And then that goes away, but they're, they're still not motivated and they're still not um, feeling interested in anything that they used to be interested in, which means that as a teenager or, or a young adult, you're not going to go back to school. You're not going to get a job. You're not going to pursue relationships and friendships. And so that creates a very big functioning um, or it stops your functioning in daily life. Right. And that's the, the issue. So that's what I was looking at. Why is it that some patients, um, everything gets better or they there's sometimes like a roller coaster with the symptoms, depending on if they take their medication regularly or not. But mostly we and they are still trying to understand something called persistent negative symptoms, which is when that kind of want or need to do something never comes back. Right. Um, yeah, that's what, what I was saying. What portion of the population is diagnosed as schizophrenia? Do you know? Oh, I forget now. I did know. Should be one of my articles. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. It's it's a small it's, it's percentage. Small. It's like one, yeah. probably one. Something one. like that. Yeah, it's a very small percentage, either one or two percent, I think. So it's, you would say it's, it's, probably unlikely that your child mm -hmm. that someone's child has has these symptoms although 
I'm going to say um, it's definitely a worry when you're pregnant or when you have young children. Oh, wow. Is, is, is their behavior indicative that they're, you know, that they have Oh, a yeah. behavioral issue? And, and do you think we're overanalyzing and, and do Hmm. you, or is it just me? Am I like, <laughs> I don't know. I, pre-symptom for, for something? I, I think, I think I will panic a little bit more <laughs> because of my research, but because it's not these prodromal stages and, and these negative symptoms are not just with schizophrenia or psychosis. They're also with depression, um, bipolar. And, and, and I think, what we like I said before I think we just have to be aware of any changes so if a child was always kind of not motivated <laughs> and you always had to push them since they were young well that's not a change um, and even with mental illness it's it's not just a change but it's also is it impacting their their daily functioning so um, but with mental illness it's it's affecting your daily functioning you're either not going to work because you're anxious or you're not going to work because you're worried of something or you're hearing a voice so when your functioning stops um, then it's it's something more serious so the same thing with our kids right if if they've always been the kind of kid that you have to push and they're not motivated and they don't want to go see friends if that's the regular norm then that's fine but if they were interested and all of a sudden you see a big change that's the only thing I would tell parents to be aware of a really dramatic change where you're like what happened to my child that's not who they were before um, but yeah most teenagers I think seem not uninterested <laughs> which is kind of scary <laughs> Yeah, I have a preteen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can see so, it coming. Is it coming? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that too. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into teenagers and yeah. <laughs> there's the some brain. really great Instagrammers too. And that I think that's really uh, the goal of Curious Neuron is to go directly to the experts. Cindy and I are experts in our own specific field and we know where to get the research, but we will also draw on on the experts in the field. So there are psychologists and, and uh, clinicians and pediatrics and neurologists and mm. um, scientists who are doing the research. And, and that's something that we will, we will try and do each episode. And going back to what you said also, I think to, to close this up, but we don't want to overwhelm you. That's not the goal. And, you know, well, it's like a buffet of, <laughs> of, of science information. And then you always will know what's best for your child. I think we have to learn to trust ourselves too as parents. Even if we see a certain type of parenting is, is best or a certain way of dealing with your child is best, it might not work for your family and might not work for your child, but the info is there with Curious Neuron. And then you take what you want and then apply what you want. It might work, it might not work, but we're not here to give opinion. We're here, to, well, we're here to say, you know, what we tried with our own family, but we're also here to just share the information we find because it's kind of interesting. <laughs> right. And, and so two things, one, what I've found is once you understand the science, it's easier to make these decisions. Yes. And so once you understand yeah. why sleep is important, why it's important to eat well, why it's important to play, then I find you can lose some of the guilt that um, mm. is sometimes associated with, um, all the info. Yeah, with some of, yeah. What I find is that some of the research um, that's presented, especially in, in uh, articles that you can find in, in parenting magazines, is sometimes they're a little watered down. They provide mm. you with the take home message. But if you don't have the science behind it, all you have is the take home message. Yeah. And so you try and say, so we'll take um, screen time, for example, they'll say mm. zero screen time between zero and two. And so in your mind, you're saying, oh, I'm not, my kids really shouldn't have any screen time. Well, 
that's the idea. But if your your child is in front of a TV for 10, 15 minutes, yeah. it's not that their their brain is melting or that their <laughs> eyes can't handle it. It's just it's not recommended. Yeah. And the reason there are a number of different reasons which we'll go into, but the science is that our that their their eyes are still developing and that we want them to be looking at at more natural um, stimuli. Exactly. So we'll go we we'll go into that in more detail. But that that's the idea is to provide the science behind it so that you as a parent or as an early educator or a grandparent or anyone who's interested mm-hmm. in in child development can really just understand the science behind brain development and make your own decisions based on that. Exactly. And on that note, <laughs> I think that was a good discussion. <laughs> I love this. I, I really enjoy the, our chats together. This is going to be fun. This is going to be really fun. <laughs> so if you um, enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review uh, on iTunes, uh, rate it on five stars, and you can write a review to say hi to both of us. <laughs> and you can follow uh, the Curious Neuron podcast on Instagram at Curious Neuron Podcast and visit our website at CuriousNeuron.com. And in our next episode, we're going to switch seats now i'll be interviewing marion and we'll be talking about her research which deals with neuroplasticity and early life experiences so you're going to want to tune into that one we also have a few guests lined up for you in upcoming episodes including uh, janine sanders where i'll be chatting with her about about their body parts and body safety I loved our episode with Lily Nichols, and she told us everything we need to know about what to eat, uh, mm-hmm. both for our kids and for for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be talking with Dr. Eliza Pressman, and we'll be discussing executive functions. And we had a really nice chat with her about how we could um, be more mindful of these skills and help our children develop these skills. Great. Can't wait. <laughs> Until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.